0: Welcome to another edition of Speaking of Arkansas. I'm Greg Harton, editorial page editor for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Thanks for listening today. Today our guest is Greg Tabor. He's been the chief of police in Fayetteville for 13 years. That makes him the city's second longest uh, serving police chief. And uh, he's been part of the Fayetteville Police Department for 34 years. And uh, September 20th, I think, is your official last day. That's correct. In the job. Uh, And today we wanted to visit with Chief Tabor about his career, uh, the community that he's served, the changing nature of law enforcement, uh, leadership and the challenges of being a police officer. So uh, welcome and and thanks for being here.
1: Thanks. I appreciate you having me. I love talking about uh, the Fayetteville Police Department.
0: Well, we will talk about them some, and hopefully talk about you a little bit right. too. So, um, so how's it feel to know that you're just early days away from uh, leaving, uh, maybe the only employer you've had since you've been about 20. Maybe you've had a few others, but really, it it your employer has been the city of Fayetteville. Yeah, my for... whole
1: adult life, for sure, it's been uh, the city of Fayetteville. You know, and I really don't know how to feel yet. Just to be truthful with you. Uh, you know, the, I think the first week that uh, I'm retired, we're going to go on vacation for a week. So I think it'll be that next Monday at 8 a.m. when it'll really set in. I'm a real creature of habit. I get up at the same time every morning, do the same thing, go to the same Sonic, and get a Diet Coke every morning. So it's going to seem really strange not to have that routine in my life. So. I'll let you know in a couple of weeks how it really feels. <laughs>
0: All right. You've been thinking about, uh, uh, now you're, you're retiring because of an age limit in terms of pension. Well, or... it's not an
1: age limit. Okay. So uh, for, the, for the state, if you're under lot fee retirement, which is a state retirement, at 28 years, you can make an election to get on what's called DROP, the Deferred Retirement Option Plan. And if you elect to do that, whenever you do it, at 28 years is the earliest you can do it. But whenever you elect to do that, you can only do seven years. So i done that right at my 28th anniversary, so seven years later, here we are today. So I've known ever since October of 2012 that the end of September 2019 would be the end of my career. So it's uh, that decision was made in 2012, okay. not made recently.
0: Okay. Um, well, let's go way back to when you first started. You were around 20, 21 years old? 21 when I
1: started the police department, Okay. that's right
0: um but you grew up in west fork right that's correct still live in west
1: fork that's correct um so tell me a little bit about growing up in west fork yeah so just just typical little small town and i actually uh worked on a dairy farm whose owner was the fire chief in Westport? Matter of fact, he is the longest serving fire chief ever. 50 years, he was the fire chief. So obviously at a very young age, I think I started working on that farm when I was probably about 16. He got me involved with the fire department. I just loved it. So really, you know, talking about the only job I've ever had, I I have had a few other jobs other than the police department. They've really all been around public service. Like I said, the whole time in high school, volunteer fireman at West Fork, um, graduated high school, immediately that summer went to a EMT, emergency medical technician class at the U of A, met some guys that were a little bit older than me and uh, they ended up going to work at the fire department in Eureka Springs and they said oh, why don't you come over here and go to work. I was like they're not going to hire me until I'm 21 but uh, strangely enough you could be a paid fireman EMT in Eureka Springs but you couldn't be a volunteer so I actually went to work uh, at the Eureka Springs Fire Department when I was about 19 and worked there before I worked at the police department.
0: Okay. Um, and when you joined the police department, it was 1985? That's correct. Okay. Um, and uh, what? tell me a little bit about what drew you to be a police officer.
1: So you heard me talk about that a little bit uh, yesterday. There was a couple of, Bud Dennis was the sheriff, had just become the sheriff in 1981. There were some guys in West Fork a little bit older than me that immediately went to work for him. They were friends of mine. So every Friday and Saturday night, I would bug them uh, to go ride with them, And I'd done that a lot from before I was 21 years old. So the, I think the very day that I turned 21, I went to work at the sheriff's office and Bud was still the sheriff then and, and after a few months there, he told me, look, if you think you really want to do this, you don't need to stay here. You need to go to the Fayetteville Police Department. He had just retired from the police department a few years earlier. He said the pay's better, the benefits are better, it's got more security because, you know, back then when they changed sheriffs, most everybody changed with them. So I took his advice. Obviously the police department, civil service, so there was a lag time there taking the civil service test. And, uh, then I got hired. So I turned 21 in February, went to work with the sheriff's office, worked there till August when I was hired, uh, at the police department. What, what specifically kind of drew you toward policing? Well, I, I think it was just the whole public service thing. You know, like I said, I started early, you know, it was fire department, still public service. I just enjoyed that type of work. Uh, Riding with those older guys from Westworth that were deputies, uh, you know, obviously the one thing I like most about police work is the day is never the same. You never know what it's going to be from day to day. I still say that today, 34 years later, still some something happens every day that you've not encountered. So that's really what drew me to law enforcement. It's what kept me in law enforcement this long is just the, the thought of knowing that something new every day.
0: Oh, that's, I, I would think is, is something that keeps people out of law enforcement too. Right, right. You
1: really never know what's never, going to happen. We, we encourage people at the police department to never say always or never say never, because those are two <laughs> words that are usually true in police work.
0: Uh, think back to that first day on the job. What, uh, what was that like for you?
1: So obviously, you know, now we've got a very uh, formal field training program. You know, you graduate the academy, you have to ride with somebody for 16 weeks. Well, back then, Uh, We didn't have anything formal like that. They would just put you riding with a senior officer for two or three days or, you know, maybe a week or something. At the time, I remember Tim Helder was one person that I rode with. It's just funny. Here we are, you know, 35 years later and both still in law enforcement. But I remember Uh, that. Yeah,
0: he's a a sheriff of Washington County. That's correct. Four or five years older than you, I think. That's correct. That's right.
1: He, you know, retired a few years ago back, I guess it was in 2003 or 2004. uh, From the uh, police department. From the police department's assistant chief. That's correct. But when I started, he was just a patrolman. Rode with him for a few days and a few others. And I remember the sergeant, his name was Lauren Rickman. He's been long retired. Uh, there was an unlock at Walmart West when Walmart uh, was where the optical lab is now, not where they're currently at. And he said, there was an unlock out there that I think I could go out there and unlock this car without messing it up. And I told him, yeah, I thought I could probably do that. And that was my very first call. And then after that, I never rode with anybody again.
0: And that was like a week or two? Yeah, open. two
1: at the most. Wow. Two at the most. But I felt like I had a little... Uh, was uh, had a little step up on a lot of new folks because I had been riding, been you know with a lot of um, you know experience. Not, I shouldn't say a lot of experience, some experience at the sheriff's office and riding with those guys. So it wasn't like I just graduated college and had never been in a police car before. So I felt like I had a little you know yeah. step up on maybe other new guys at the time.
0: Okay, uh, yeah, I, I spoke with Jay Contrell and and uh, uh, Randall Denzer uh, yesterday uh, and they, they talked about, you know, you pestering them quite a bit, uh, <laughs> back before you could even legally have a gun. Right. I mean, that's correct. You, you, uh, wanted to ride with them at the sheriff's office, uh, just, just to get a taste of it. Yeah. I've done that a lot. Um, uh, that, uh, that's something that doesn't really happen today, is it?
1: Well, it probably wouldn't even be allowed today. I mean, you know, we will let people do a ride along, but there's some really strict rules and, you know, most of the time it's through an internship at the university. We wouldn't just let some 18 year old show up and, and ride with an officer on the street. Yeah. You know, this is another sign of how law enforcement's changed since 1985 or the early 80s. Is that a good thing? Or oh, I think, oh, absolutely, that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. I, I can remember, uh, you will probably remember back in March of 1981 when uh, Paul Muller, the police chief in Westport, got killed, and I can remember uh, us, and, or myself, and some other high school boys out driving some county roads, and we absolutely shouldn't have been doing that. It was, you know, what would you have done if you would have run onto this guy? And so obviously, yeah, it's it's for the better. Mm, okay, um,
0: so what did you want to get out of being a police officer?
1: I, I think just job satisfaction. You know, I, here I am 34 years later and I'm leaving because I have to, not because I want to. Mm. I still enjoy coming to work every day. And I, I think that says a lot that I, I mentioned it yesterday, you know, at the retirement ceremony uh, about, um, you know, it's just, I think it was a good choice me uh, you know can I really name ten reasons I decided to want to be a police officer I probably can't but you know like I said 34 years later I still enjoy coming to work so it was it was the right decision I had all the fun little boy jobs I'd been a fireman uh, I was a pilot for a little while and then switched to law enforcement so you know all little boys say that's three things they want to be so I pretty much <laughs> ha- done them all so I stuck with law enforcement
0: so I understand your father passed away when you were quite young. That's correct. How old were
1: you? When I was, was two old. when he passed away. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so, so no recollection really, of him really? at all.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, for a lot of people that, you know, that might lead, uh, I think Sheriff Helder at your retirement reception yesterday talked about, uh, you know, kind of joked about a long tradition in West Fork of, of <laughs> yeah. uh, either going into law enforcement or being on the other side of the bars. Yeah, we've always joked uh, about that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, losing your dad so early, I, I, that, It seems to me would potentially give you kind of two paths uh, to go down and some people some people choose a you know that that can lead them down a path that
1: so so my mom got remarried when i was probably about 13 or 14 you know Mm -hmm. uh, he he was a great guy very strong father figure to me and so i never really remember that time of not considering having having a dad Mm -hmm. And so I think that was, uh, you know, play, that played a big role in it, obviously. But my mom also, you know, uh, during during the time before they were married and even after I, I had no siblings, I was an only child. And when they got married, I got uh, two stepsisters and a, a stepbrother. And they were very lenient with us overall. You know, we didn't really have a, a time to come in. So we could have got in a lot more trouble than we did. And so I don't know what to chalk that up to, just getting lucky, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Uh the choices
0: that you made as a kid you 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 just kind of feel like that that was kind of an inborn kind of personality thing or well I
1: think it's that plus like I said you know I went to work at such a young age for his name was Mitch McCorkle I don't know if you probably remember Mitch Mm -hmm. you know as the fire chief I mean I was just 16 years old so I mean I was pretty gullible pretty impressionable during the end and I mean that's it was hard work in the fire department and that's all you did, that's all he'd done. So, you know, I spent a lot of time with him and his wife, and and I think that's where that was just kind of bred into me at that point, that that's what you done. Mm-hmm. So,
0: um, you've been chief for 13 years. You were promoted by Mayor Dan Coody, and then you were ret- retained by uh, Mayor Lionel Jordan, uh, I think he said 10 and a half years ago.
1: Yeah, when he become mayor, I don't, um, beginning of 09, I think it was.
0: So, you know that's that's a pretty uh, as we mentioned you know second longest tenure as police chief. Um, it's it's a different role within police the police department than pretty much any other role. Uh, so tell me a little bit of what are what are the politics of being the police chief?
1: Yeah, so I mean obviously you're not elected you're appointed by the mayor but you're you might as well be elected. I mean when you work for an elected official and you work as closely as the police chief does with the mayor. You're in the politics of it for sure, and you know, and ever, ever mayor uh, is a little bit different. They expect a little different things out of you so you know it's it, there's a little learning curve there I think you know anytime you switch mayors and you know it's pretty common that police chiefs don't survive mayor changes as a matter of fact most police chiefs under any circumstances only make it four or five years so I consider myself very fortunate you know I had a little bit of a relationship with Lionel before he came mayor just because of him sitting on the city council and mm-hmm. you know I, I can remember times you know I don't know if you know it but the mayors are a very early riser I mean, very early. So back when he was a council member uh, and he worked at the university, if you was going to meet with him, you'd done it about four o'clock in the morning at the Hardee's on MLK. And so, you know, we had that relationship. And I think I mentioned it yesterday. You know, I've actually been the police chief twice in Fayetteville over, uh, it was kind of just a weird set of circumstances when uh, Mayor Cootie asked me to be the mayor. I didn't have my time to retire. And obviously you work at the will of the mayor. And so I wasn't willing to risk my time or how many years it was at the time, 20-something years, and so I made a deal with Mayor Cootie that if I wasn't happy with him or he wasn't happy with me, I could just go back to my deputy chief's position. So so the the deputy chief is still within the civil
0: service That's correct. Uh, uh, protection, that's I correct. guess you'd, you'd uh-huh. say, but once you become
1: police chief, it's serving at the will of the Right he uh, can, okay. He can get rid of it because he don't like the color shirt you're wearing today. Yeah, yeah. So, so what happened was then when uh, Lionel became the mayor, he wasn't sure what direction he wanted to take. So I just stepped back uh, before Cootie left office into that deputy chief spot. It was still the acting chief. So I've always been had the role of chief, mm-hmm. whether I had the official title or not. Then a few months, I don't remember the exact time, into Mayor Jordan's term, he decided to to make me the chief. So it's you know, in in reality, it really doesn't mean anything. But I like to tell people I've actually been the police chief twice.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, you've got the. Um, when I talk about the politics of of being police chief, I mean, you're you're the guy that people look to from the community perspective about when anything goes right, and 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 probably particularly when anything <laughs> goes wrong. Um, and, you know, I think to your credit, I think our police department has had a pretty long period of uh, no major scandals or anything like that. But uh, but you know, things crop up, and, and you've got to deal with them. Sure, I, things, I, I, things happen. How, how, do you, how do you interact with those issues, and and, uh, and how is it different as police chief than any other role that you've ever had?
1: Well, I think, you know, as, as any other role, you can kind of fade into the shadows, whereas the police chief, you can't really do that. I mean, ultimately, like you said, ultimately, you're going to be held responsible for the good and the bad, and... Back to the politics part, I think, you know, it's important and it's hard for a lot of young officers, and I was probably one of them to understand, you know, what should be important to the police department is what is important to your community. And that can vary from community to community. We talk about the difference in Fayetteville and Springdale a lot. Here we are just a few miles apart, but I think it's night and day different in the makeup of the communities and how we police versus how Springdale, Rogers, Bentonville polices. But I think, you know, obviously we've had, we try to do a great job 100% of the time, but obviously that's not going to happen. We make mistakes, things happen. Uh, you know, unfortunately being a police officer, you've got to make split second decisions that involves people's lives every day almost. And and uh, sometimes, you know, it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback or have 20-20 vision on them. But I think the main thing is you be transparent, you get out in front of it, you don't, you know, not, not saying that you're trying to hide it, but don't give the impression that you're trying to hide something just you know the facts are the facts and put the facts out there then people are going to draw their own own conclusions and you know when we hire new officers here we talk a lot with them about quality of life things what's important to Fayetteville uh, are a lot of quality of life music cigarette butts on the sidewalk a yard sale sign tacked to the telephone pole and we talk about new officers if you think you're going to have a problem Dealing with those kind of things, this is probably not the place for you because that's what's important to the community. Yeah,
0: that's not exactly what people generally are going to get into law enforcement right.
1: work for. But they uh, want to arrest bad guys and drive fast. That's why right. most people get into <laughs> law enforcement. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what skills or, or uh, did or didn't kind of come naturally for you, and which, you know, which ones did you feel like you had to develop as a as a uh, as you looked at your career and said, you know, I've just got to get better at this to try to right. to try to
1: do go where I want to go. Yeah, I think I think you just got to have the ability to uh, interact with anybody. Just you know, the gift of gab can be a lot of it. You you know, there's different times that you've got to be whether it's a suspect or a victim. You know, in the first few seconds, you just have to be their best friend. And I think it, you know, a lot of people come with that naturally. Some people never get it. You know, uh, we we joke at times that you know. Uh, certain officers, there's just going to, if you're going to call them, there's just going to be conflict because of the way they handle things and other people can de-escalate something in a, in a split second time. So I think that's one of the most important things that uh, is just that gift of being able to be your best friend within a couple of seconds of, of meeting.
0: Yeah, did you feel like that was a natural thing? That yeah, you had, I felt like or? that
1: came pretty natural to me. I think, uh, obviously, you know, with my experience at the fire department, you know, as an EMT, you're having to deal with people in very stressful situations. That's another, you know, me meeting you out on the street or sitting here today is different than meeting you when you're having some kind of incident, whether it's, Fire, EMS, or police-related. So you have to learn to be able to, you know, calm people down and de-escalate those situations. But I feel like that come uh, pretty natural to me. I think the the one thing I think all police officers are guilty of, and sometimes it's in conflict with newspapers, and you know, we've all got this. This is mine. Why do they need to know? It's you know, it's none of their business. Why uh-huh. they they need this information? So. so that was something as you climb the ladder, you realize. Well, wait a minute. We don't have anything to hide here. You know, it's not just our little circle. You know, let's put our story out there. So that's a skill that I, I had to learn for sure as I climbed the ladder. Of we're not hiding anything here. If somebody asks for it, let's give it to them.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that's a uh, a common thing from my experience. That that you know, you, you meet a police officer when he's younger, and and there is a little bit of that. That's uh, against tension, them. Tension. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and with various officers, I've seen that kind of develop over the years yeah. as they've gotten more experience, gotten more comfortable in their own skin, uh, and, and and you know, uh, rightly I think they you know police officers usually have to come into a situation and really take command, um, yeah, most uh, to, to to get things under control quickly, um, and I I think sometimes that that's hard to turn off when you're needing to have that softer touch. Yeah. Um, So, uh,
1: uh, how do you communicate that with your younger officers? I think just having that discussion with them, I mean, it's kind of a culture of, look, folks, we don't have anything here to hide. Uh, We work for the community. And, and, you know, if if by law we can give it to them, we're gonna give them that information. Uh, Let's, like I said, let's, it's 99.9% of the time, it's all good. Let's tell our good story. You know, back to your previous question, I think one of the other hard things to learn is when you first become a supervisor, because here you've been working with this group of police officers uh, for you know whatever time, and they're, some of them are your best friends, and definitely friends to some degree, and then all of a sudden, you become a supervisor, and you're expected... Yesterday, I couldn't make a decision about anything. Well, today, I'm a supervisor, and I have to make a decision about everything. And sometimes that involves discipline, uh, people that work under you, and those kind of things. So that's a, that's hard, too. And I had a that was probably the biggest skill I had to learn is, you know, the quicker you can nip problems in the bud, the, the better off everybody is. And that's, that's hard to, to do.
0: Well, and it's taken to a whole different level when the people you supervise and, and yourself, I mean, you get you get to carry a gun as part of your job you you get to come into situations and you have a lot of authority over people yeah and so it's uh it's it's pretty critical to get that right right absolutely um give me some examples if you don't mind i mean when you think back over your career um you know what are some of the more memorable uh situations that you got involved in uh, as a young officer, as, a, as an experienced officer, uh, uh, I don't know if there are some that just naturally bubble to the surface. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, there's several. You know, early in my career, I think I'd only been an officer about a year and a half. I became a canine officer. And I've got so many great stories from being a canine officer. You know, it, it's funny when you're that canine officer, uh, it your success revolves around your dog. And it was so funny, you know, you could go out one night and your dog would track somebody down and the guys was, oh, that's the greatest dog. And, and then the next night, for whatever reason, if you didn't find somebody, well, that dog couldn't find a dog bone, you know? So I've got, I remember one story, it got called to Springdale. A, a Elderly lady had uh, wandered off from a nursing home. It was really, really cold. We didn't have drones and stuff, obviously, back then. And just within a few minutes, uh, we, we the, the, our dog or my dog found uh, this lady out in a big field next to the nursing home and she survived that so there's a lot you know a lot of stories revolve around canine whether it's finding somebody that's lost uh, I remember one time uh, we had a break-in down at RP electric plating in the uh, industrial park here in Fayetteville it was really really cold I mean like one of those nights it was below zero uh, we got on a track we run a really long track over to City Lake Road I was froze we'd been through the creek a couple of times dog has icicles hanging on him At that time, John Schuster, who now works at the sheriff's office, was a canine officer here. He picked up where I left off, and he followed that track, and we ended up arresting three guys that had broke into that. So there's a lot of success stories like that, you know. Um, Then I spent some time in the drug task force. Mm -hmm. Uh, Early on in the drug task force was when crack cocaine was first hitting Fayetteville, and a lot of it was coming from eastern Arkansas, and also some of it was coming from the Muskogee, Oklahoma area. So we spent a lot of time... In the Mariana Helena area in the early '90s, and so I think that we've done a good job, uh, you know, putting uh, arresting a lot of people that were involved in that. So I'm pretty pretty proud of that too. So uh, you you headed up the
0: narcotics uh, division, I guess. Yeah, the four uh, four D
1: DTF.
0: Okay, um, and 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 talking to some some of the different folks in law enforcement, they kind of felt like that might. Might have been where you kind of came into your own in yeah. terms of yeah. of supervising and leading. Um, uh, uh, how challenging was that? Because I would imagine that that kind of drug task force uh, law enforcement is. Uh, um, yeah, they're not necessarily like the uniformed patrol officer. <laughs> right. they, they have a different personality.
1: Yeah, so so that probably was, it was my first assignment as a supervisor. So you got just those struggles, plus what you're talking about. I mean, so at the drug task force, you've got people from Springdale, you got people from the sheriff's office. So they're not all Fayetteville PD officers assigned there. Obviously to be very successful in that, uh, we want a, that type A personality. You know, I tell everybody to still this day, that we want you to be aggressive. We want you walking up to that line, but we don't want you stepping one inch over that line. So there's, you know, lots of big decisions to be made about search warrants and, you know, how we're going to take a case. And obviously you're dealing with the U.S. Attorney's Office. And, you know, as a young sergeant, it's like the U.S. Attorney's Office. Oh my gosh, I've got to go in there and talk to somebody. That's scary, scary business though, but you just had to do it every day. And then of course the challenge of, of you know, if, if somebody came from Fayetteville PD, you knew what, hiring they'd been through you knew the policies they were operating under where that wasn't always true with with other agencies so it, it was a challenge but I felt like we were pretty successful I felt like we uh really made a dent in, in, uh, like I said, the crack cocaine. Uh, Back then, lots of meth labs. Unlike now, you know, you couldn't buy pseudoephedrine or they didn't use pseudoephedrine. They used a whole different method of cooking meth and those kind of things. So I I would probably agree with that, that I think that set my career on a pretty positive note because I think I was pretty successful out there. And obviously there's a lot of folks that worked out there with me. Uh, it's kind of a joke at the police department. If you're going to promote at the police department, you've had to work at the drug task force at some point. You know, Deputy Chief Reynolds was at the drug task force, Captain Yates, I mean, there's a whole list of people that have moved on up the chain at the police department that have been at the drug task force a lot. And you know, we, we kind of joke sometimes that, you know, it's a sergeant's position, but you're doing, you know, a lieutenant or captain's job. There's all these grants, all this reporting, lots of paperwork, and then just lots of, once again, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made on the fly, so you have to become very versed at making a decision making it quickly and you know just uh, living with your decision
0: uh, in doing all of that I, have have you ever had those moments where you kind of questioned um you know you're seeing kind of the seedier side of life sometimes and 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 as a law enforcement officer you you see things uh you have to investigate things that really don't uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, you know, they don't fill the human spirit with right. with joy or anything. <laughs> did you ever
1: uh, get? Did that ever overwhelm you? To any extent? So, did it ever overwhelm me? No, I don't. I don't think so. You know, I think you heard Deputy Chief Reynolds talking about him yesterday, pretty emotionless. You know, and. <laughs> And so, but, you know, I think the thing that always bothered me the worst about that is probably just the whole meth thing is where, you know, you've got either a mom or a dad or both on meth. You've got young kids in the house, you know, mom and dad haven't ate in four or five days. They haven't slept in four or five days. And unless you've been there, it's really hard to understand what that environment is like for the kids when you've got a four-year-old taking care of a two-year-old because mom and dad are addicted to meth, you know, it's hard to come home to your family, to your four-year-old and two-year-old and not, and not think about those things. Um, so yeah, it could, you know, you definitely have those thoughts for sure, but you know, I think how you uh, deal with that is you think, well, I'm out there doing the best job we can to prevent this from happening in the future.
0: The, um, you mentioned family and yesterday uh, at your retirement reception, um there were uh, lots of references made to sacrifice um, and uh, and most of those were really talking not so much about you but about your family yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about that especially I guess when you're working narcotics you, yeah, so you you're not working eight to five necessarily so right. what kind of sacrifices does a police officer have to make for his family or or does his family have to make? So he can do the job he wants to do. Well, I
1: think I think the first thing is, you know, just what I said a minute ago. You've got to be careful when you when on the officer's point when you come home that you're not bringing what you just saw or. A, saw a few hours a few days earlier home I mean you've got to be able to turn that switch off you're right about narcotics you know there was a lot of golf playing during eight to five because all the work happened at night you know and you would just get home and you'd get that call you might get that call at two o'clock in the morning and probably you know and I I always joke the police officers are either married to teachers or nurses and I don't know why that is but typically that's you know if you took a poll the majority of them would be married to one of those two groups and my wife was a nurse at the time so she worked uh, strange hours You know, she worked in the ER and we used to always joke early in our career that I would deal with them out on the street and then she'd deal with them a few hours later in the <laughs> emergency room so we knew all the same people yeah. and uh so luckily we had family close and it was it was you know convenient luckily for us that we had a lot of family I see young officers today that you know they're working nights and working weekends and their wife may be a nurse or some other position that works night and they have no family here and it's really that's that's a tough thing to get over you know that something I never had to deal with Uh, as far as our kids because we always had that support of our family so it's definitely hard for a young officer to do that but you know it's just I can't tell you how many hundreds of times you know uh, Cindy'd be setting supper on the table and you get that call and you just that's just part of it. Mm Uh, you know luckily for her you know as it got a little later in her career she also took a position where she was on call so that worked both ways a lot of times and there was a lot of times that we both uh, you know we jerk the kids up in the middle of the night and take them next door or down the street to to somebody because we both had to go to work so that's where the kids kind of uh you know sacrifice some and then as the kids get older I can remember, you know, lots, not lots of times, a handful of times when my kids were teenagers, I'd get that call, hey, do you know your daughter or son's over here? So, uh, you know, that's, that's, you heard me mention that yesterday. Mm-hmm. Sometimes growing up a cop's kid, you know, there's no secrets. You're not going to get by with much. Right, so. right. Um,
0: the Tell me a little bit about how you think attitudes uh, toward policing has changed over the 34 years that you've been involved in law enforcement. <sighs>
1: You know, to be truthful, and I can only, I think, speak for Fayetteville, I don't know how it is other places, but in Fayetteville, I don't know if it's really changed that much or there's just that perception or thought that it's changed that much. Because, you know, when we do any kind of uh, survey, I mean, it comes back overwhelmingly support for the police department. Um, you know, obviously anytime and believe me, you know, there's videos I've watched, you know, is, you know, probably started with the Ferguson thing and after that that, you know, some police officer doing something, I would just absolutely cringe when I saw that. So if I'm doing it, I know the public's doing it and I think that's brought about over the last 30 years because of police departments being more transparent, obviously you didn't see that stuff on TV unless that officer had a camera in his car or a camera on his chest and so I think that's... but. It, when I look at Fayetteville, I think, overall, that we uh, we still have a lot, a lot of support from the community. Now, has it changed with some people? Probably. You know, I, I kind of joke both sides are further from the middle than they used to be. You know, obviously, look at any uh, news story about anything that has to do with D.C., and I think, you know, whatever side you want to be on, you're further from the other side than, than you used to. And I think that just goes with everything. Politics, law enforcement perception of newspapers mm-hmm. the news you know just anything I think both sides are just further apart so you um, you
0: know there's there's been a kind of this uh, uh, sense that nationally not necessarily in Fayetteville about you know trust for officers because of some of those events you talk about um, and and you are in a, in a city where you've got a lot of people coming in who aren't from here primarily right. because of the right. university but but uh, because of you know company, corporate companies those sorts of things um so you do deal with a lot of people who have very different experiences with law enforcement um and and so how do you how have you kind of seen that play out over the years where um you know if if you pull over uh, uh someone uh, the, the, you know has very, that negative they, they attitude. very well could have had a very negative experience wherever they came from right right right. Um,
1: so how have you well had once to again I think that? I think you know you just have to be open and transparent about it and we've had a lot of discussions you know after the Ferguson incident we uh, it was like a traveling road show almost I mean we went and spoke at almost every church at the university. I mean, there was a lot of forums and panels, and we spoke at a lot of them there for, you know, a year or two. It was mainly the mayor and I and Deputy Chief Reynolds. And, you know, we heard a lot of feedback from people about, we do feel more comfortable here than we did wherever we came from. But I'll, I'll tell you a story, so, and I, I won't put a, put a name with it because I don't know if he'd want me to or not, but I was talking to a African-American law enforcement official here in Fayetteville who had come from Oklahoma City. He had a teenage, I don't remember the exact age, but you know an older teenager went to Fayetteville High School he was relating a story to me about how his son felt uncomfortable getting stopped on a traffic stop in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I tell you I don't think anything had ever taken me back so much in my life as to hear that because I thought why in the world would a young African-American male be afraid to get stopped by the police in Fayetteville, Arkansas? And, and so that was a real wake-up call for me that hey I may think it's perfect out there, but there's still a lot of work to do. When oh. when I when I hear that, mm-hmm. for sure. And then I was watching a, a body worn camera just in the last two weeks. Uh, we were arresting an African American male, and and his comment was he was already handcuffed and was getting put in the back of the police car. His comment was something to the effect of "I'm afraid to get in this car with y'all," and so that just tells me that there's still work work to be. No matter how good I think it is, there's still work to be done.
0: Yeah, and. And sometimes it's easy to kind of shrug that off if, from your perspective, you're doing everything right. Right. Um, Because you're not always going to convince everybody. Right, right. But so so how do you...
1: Once again, I think we do a lot... Community engagement is how I think you do that. Okay. You know, and, and we... I think in 2018, if I've got the number right, we've done 174 community engagement events from big, you know, National Night Out where there's a lot of people, our Youth Citizens Police Academy. I think you start at a young age, you know, used to, we had D.A.R.E. if you remember what that was, you know, to keep kids off drugs. Well, now we start at a young age with our Youth Citizens Police Academy so you can build that rapport and some of those connections with kids that are in junior high. So they see that, hey, He's just like I am. It's just a job he's got, Mm -hmm. you know. And so nobody to be afraid of. He's my friend. We still have, you know, you hear officers all the time that either taught D.A.R.E. or taught U.S. Police Academy that, that some young teenager will call. They still have that connection with them. So I just think that community engagement, which is, you know, that's one of the big things that's different than 34 years ago. I mean, 34 years ago, I don't remember any community engagement. You didn't meet with the community and talk about anything. You didn't involve the community in anything. Probably didn't care what the community caught thought. You just enforced the law. You laws. just enforce the law, right? Right. So that's, I think that's one of the biggest things. And I think no matter how, you know, I mean, you've seen us in a million places. We we bought a smoker here a couple of years ago. If we hear somebody having some event somewhere, hey, we haul our smoker down there and cook hamburgers and hot dogs. And just and just that engagement in those relationships. You know, we do coffee with the cops at Rick's Donuts, different donuts. And different donuts shops around town. We do uh, at Starbucks and different coffee places. I think just getting out and being in the community. I think it helps the community learn why we do what we do, and it helps us hear their concerns about, you know, why are you doing this? Yeah, you know. I remember some
0: some time ago, two three years ago, I guess that uh, when I, um, I think it was Judge Wendell Griffin came up, and, mm-hmm. and it was a uh, an event at a church. Yeah, it was at St. James uh, Baptist. I, uh, when it and it was, I mean, there was a lot of. Discussion, uh, talk of, of racial concerns, not specific to Fayetteville, right. but to law enforcement in general. And I think you were there. I was there. And so you're sitting in the audience, hearing what is kind of fiery rhetoric yeah. about how you you know how yeah. how some folks view law enforcement. Right. So I don't and, know that
1: Judge Griffith and I would ever agree on too much because I didn't agree with much he said mm-hmm. there, but you know. I I can honestly say in my 34 years, I don't think I've ever seen an enforcement action, whether it was a ticket or an arrest, based on somebody's race. I, I just haven't ever seen that in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Now have I heard some people use some pretty derogatory language and stuff? Absolutely, but I've never seen anybody that I thought was arrested just strictly on their race. And it was hard to sit there. And uh, listen to some of the stuff he said. Yeah. Now I'm also not gullible enough to think that it doesn't go on places, right? Because I'm sure it. I'm sure it does. No doubt. No doubt about it.
0: Hmm. Um, you know, all police chiefs have difficult days um, because you're supervising a force of people who um, do the right thing sometimes and mess up sometimes. Sure. Um, think back and just tell me. What 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 do you look back on as, as some of your more more challenging moments and well, how, how think, you got through them?
1: You know, I think uh, two come to mind. One was an internal, where we had an officer who was a well respected officer, uh, you know, kind of one of our up and comers, involved in a child pornography case. And you know, I'll tell you what that'll uh, that'll set you back when in your office at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon when they come and tell you, hey, you're not going to believe this and start telling the story. So, oh, there's got to be some kind of mistake or something. So. That is, you know, it's like, how in the world could could a police officer in Fayetteville, Arkansas be involved in something like that? So that was, a, that was a tough one, you know, to stand up and just, that's hard to say, mm-hmm. for sure. And then externally, the one that comes to mind the quickest, there's probably several, and uh, was the Ricky Ray Anderson case out on North Levert, where our officers actually arrived, with a homicide in progress. Very rarely does an Jill, officer, Jill Almer that's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so that, you know, very seldom does an officer arrive at a homicide in progress. Uh, I don't know, I can't think of another time that's ever happened. So, you know, obviously those officers were put in a very tough situation and unfortunately that didn't turn out good and that was very, very tough to go talk uh, yeah. to, to I, her parents.
0: I that they were in an apartment He's uh, the, currently the stabbing Anderson her. Mr. Anderson is stabbing her repeatedly. Behind a o- couch. Officers break out a window. That's correct. Um, had, had to act in some fashion and fired. That's at correct. Mr. Anderson. Uh, and Tried remember, to tase uh, him
1: first. Okay. Didn't work. And uh, then they decided, you know, obviously it was a deadly force type situation. They fired. You know, it was just a worst case scenario where one of the bullets hit. I can't remember if it hit a board or a spring in the couch and ricocheted and hit her. Yeah. So and uh, I think the
0: autopsy said, was inconclusive as to whether his stabbing, which yeah. had severed an artery, I right. think. I believe it said or, either one of them yeah. were a fatal wound. Right, yeah. right. So yeah, that's a that's yeah. a tough day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For I mean, obviously, the tragic for the family and, and the officers all that, involved but, and everybody. From a from a supervisory perspective, yeah. how, how did you? How did you have to handle Well, that?
1: once again, you know, you just have to hit it head on. Just, I mean, like I said, going and talking to her parents is probably one of the toughest things I've ever done. But I remember the, the I don't remember what year that was, but the, the mayor went with me. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, the family, I mean, they could not have been any more uh, understanding, I guess is the word I want to use. But once again, you just say the facts, the facts are the facts, and we're, we're not gonna hide anything, and you just lay it out there no matter how difficult it is. But that was that was one of the tougher things that I can remember. And obviously, anytime you deal with, you know, there's several other, you know, homicides and, and those kind of things, you know, those are never fun. And then, like we talked about earlier, you know, some of the other things that are difficult, it's never fun discipline somebody, especially somebody you've worked with for, or, or terminating somebody you've worked with for 20 or 30 years. And unfortunately, that's the bad side of, uh, of being the chief, because if you're the deputy chief, the captain, and the lieutenant, you get to dodge that responsibility to some degree. But when it comes down to terminating somebody, it ultimately falls on the chief. And like I said, that's it's never fun.
0: Well, it has to be done. But it's got to be done yeah, occasionally. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a strange little twist here. Uh, so I understand that at one point you you got uh, uh, you were out on the road having to search for your tooth. Uh, because of an (laughs) an arrest uh, that you made Uh yeah
1: so I'll go I'll take you way back so uh, like in fifth grade I was riding a bicycle had a bicycle wreck busted out my two front teeth uh, on a wall I hit so my two front teeth have been crowns for years and years and years and so back in the drug task force we were serving a search warrant out somewhere around the Sulphur City area and uh, when we pulled to the driveway it looked like a cubby of quail people just running everywhere so uh, at some point I chased one of them down and when we hit the ground, somehow his arm flung around and, and hit me in the mouth and knocked one of my front teeth out. Well, as so I'm kind of looking for it, uh, there it was in his hair. Uh, my tooth was. So <laughs> I had to pick my front tooth up out of, out of his hair. So that's that story. <laughs> so there's lots of funny stories like that out there. You know, Like I said, something new every day. Yeah, yeah. You. Uh,
0: so you, that is a true story. You, ever. You, who told you that. You never get, uh, You you know, you always think of people pulling their weapons or whatever but but a lot of the injuries just happen oh, yeah, in just, the course of just chasing somebody right down, you know
1: whatever. that's right you always twist an ankle hurt your elbow okay. scuff up your knee something that's just a common common occurrence yeah. so
0: did did you ever you know, not everybody's looking to get into a fight, and that's one of the things about that. Certainly, we honor about law enforcement officers is they're running into the fight where everybody else is running yeah, You've seen that from. a lot on
1: TV. It's nine 11s right. you know, obviously right. anniversary. So yeah,
0: so, um, did you ever did that ever give you pause?
1: I don't. I don't ever remember a time that that crossed my mind that well. I'm just going to stand out here and see what happens, or it's just you know. I like. I keep going back to. I think it was just bred into me at an early age. Is just what you done you know and so I don't ever remember having second thoughts about that and you know th- to talk about that a little bit you know times have changed when it comes to active shooters because when we first started having active shooters you know all these years ago I mean kind of the MO and the training was if you were the first one there you kind of waited on the cavalry to get there and you know then you attacked the city. well obviously in recent years I mean there were so many people dying while we were waiting on the Calvary, when one officer or two officers were there, I mean, those tactics have completely changed. So if you are that unfortunate officer that shows up and you're by yourself, I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta go to where the shooting's happening at. So that's another, you know, that's kinda changed over the years for sure. The tactics that, you know, you saw, uh, you know there's the parkland shooting mm-hmm. where you know that whole controversy about did that deputy act correctly or not? But you know, in today's today's world, you can't uh, sit outside and wait on the cavalry while an active shooter's inside the building killing people.
0: Is it affecting your ability to recruit police officers the the fact that that there is such high scrutiny that that a mistake um, uh, in in that moment, you know can, then be replayed over and over again on television or, or whatever. And, and, and that, um, you know, your career is just a few seconds away from being completely destroyed right. if you make a, a, a bad choice. I
1: think maybe right after the whole Ferguson deal, you know, maybe for the couple of years when that was... Uh so high on the list and you were seeing all these high profile things, you know, some things in South Carolina that I can remember. I think it probably did, but I don't know that I see that now. You know, the, the kids that are becoming officers now if they're in their early 20s, I mean, they've grown up with a camera. You know, that's nothing new to them as somebody recording them. You know, I joke all the time, if I had a body camera on, I'd probably, be, I'd have to change my ways or I'd be fired really quickly because I'm just not used to that, but they're used to you know, there's a camera on their phone, there's somebody always videotaping everything. So I don't think that uh, is where we have trouble recruiting. We do have trouble recruiting that diverse candidate, Mm -hmm. uh, which we're after, but everybody's after them. Walmart's after them, J.B. Hunt's after them. So we're competing with, you know, obviously people that pay more than us. And I think our biggest struggle in recruiting right now is we get a lot of people, y'all said we're civil service, so you have to take a test, you have to certify and you get put on this list. And um, we kick a lot of people off on backgrounds, way more than we used to. And, it, you know, it, it's a variety of things. But, you know, hey, I done cocaine last Saturday night. Is that going to be a problem? Yes, that's probably going to be a problem. Now, if you smoked marijuana a year ago, man, we can talk about that. But we, I think we kick a lot more people off our civil service list due to backgrounds is one reason we have a hard time. But I don't recall ever anybody ever coming in and telling me, you know, i got a second doubts about this because all the scrutiny, I'm having to wear a camera, and there's a camera in my car, it's more about hours, workload, pay, those kind of things. Mm, okay. Which, and ours is great, don't get me wrong, I mean, we're one of the highest-playing departments in the state, uh, the city's benefits are, are great, but when I can go up to Walmart and, you know, not get that scrutiny you're talking about, make double the money, you know, that's pretty enticing. Yeah.
0: Um, Talk for just a minute about uh, about Fayetteville as a, as the a community and and how how are we as far as our how are we positioned in terms of our police department? Um, uh, you know, obviously, I, as you depart, I, I suspect you feel like you've done everything you can to, to, to position it well. But are are we where we need to be in I, our police
1: department? I, I sure think we are. You know, uh, an officer left. Two or three years ago, on his retirement party, he said something that really sunk into me. I think the last thing he said was, "Leave it better than you found it," and I think that's a great advice. And so I feel like I am leaving it better than I found it. You know, we, we've obviously talked about CLE or Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agency Accreditation. You know, that was talked about at the police department for years and years and years and years and finally in 2013 uh, we bit the bullet and done that. And I mean basically what that is is they, you know, there's other police chiefs from around the country or ex-police chiefs, they come in and basically they evaluate your department. They look at all your policies to make sure your policies are the way they should be covering all the high risk uh, things we do out there. They make sure all your reports indicate that you're um, following those policies. And so I think that was one big step to prove that we're doing all the right things. And then in the last few years, the state of Arkansas come out with what's called ALEAP, the Arkansas Law Enforcement Accreditation Program. So we're also accredited through the state, through ALEAP, and there's only, and I didn't know the number, I think it's only five departments in the whole state that have both those certifications. So it's easy for me to sit here and say, we got a great police department but we're bringing people in from the outside and they're evaluating that and they're writing reports saying you are doing all the right things, you have everything in place that you should and those kind of things.
0: Do you feel like we're staffed at a level we need to be for a community this size?
1: I mean, overall, yes. Could we always use, you know, another handful of people? Yeah, you know, we've heard a lot of talks about trail security in the last couple of years. Obviously we keep adding trails, adding trails, and we hear that a lot. So this year we were able to add one person whose sole responsibility is to work the trails. I mean that's forty hours a week and obviously people start on the trails at five in the morning and go to late in the night seven days a week. So obviously that's not covered much. So we'd like to have, you know, a few more to cover the to cover the trails. But I mean overall would I like to have added a few more people during my tenure I would have, but I also understand, hey, the money's the money and, and you've only got so much to go around and obviously the mayor's got a tough job because I'm not the only one asking for new people, so's parks and transportation and the airport and the fire department, and everybody else. So I get it. it's, you know, you only got so much money, you just have to do the best you can with it. I think we've uh, positioned ourselves really well. You know, obviously a lot of our command staff uh, is eligible to retire. They're at some point in that seven years on their drop. So we've spent a lot of time and money and effort with succession planning mm-hmm. in recent years. I think we've sent everybody to all the appropriate schools, the training. We have them ready uh, to take that next step up, whether that time comes you know, next week or in two or three years from now. So I think that's going to be important to keep making sure we are prepared for everybody to take that next step, because there are a lot of senior people that are that are eligible to retire, and just a matter of when are they going to do it? Okay. Um,
0: a position like yours, you know, obviously requires leadership um, uh, beyond kind of just administering the 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 office, right? And, right. Uh, the paperwork uh, shuffle. Um, and I heard a lot of people talking yesterday at your your uh, reception that uh, uh, they use the word mentor a lot. People within your organization, but also people. Um, uh, I think the police chief from Truman uh, was there, and and he felt like you had been a, a strong mentor to him. Right. Um, is that something you purposely set out to be a, a mentor, or uh, is that is that something that you've kind of sharpened your own skills? Yeah, to I've definitely
1: to- had to sharpen my skills when it comes to that, because you know I remember early on. You know somebody come into my office and talk to me and i might be reading an email i might be on my phone i was you know and i quickly look i can't do that when somebody comes to my office talk to me i got to look them in the eyes and listen to what they're saying you know i was hearing them but i wasn't listening and so that's definitely something i had to sharpen my skills at you know i learned a lot from from hoyt when he was a chief he had that saying of leadership by walking around and i think that means a lot you know you just you know I work upstairs a lot of people work downstairs you know just being involved in people's lives knowing what their kids are doing knowing they're having a new baby knowing they're getting married those kind of things and and Hoyt taught me a lot about those kind of things and Rick Hoyt yeah Rick Hoyt, former police chief right that's yeah, correct yeah. Uh, I just assume everybody knows who I'm talking about <laughs> um, and then I think you know it's I always have tried to be a team player you know to that person I, uh, Don Moore I think, says it's the best, who's the mayor's chief of staff, is try to find a reason to say yes instead oh. of just saying, no, we can't do that. You know, well, we can't do it like that, but let's figure out a way we can do it. And, and I think that comes from, you know, we've, there's been, uh, I think, in northwest Arkansas, a lot to Sheriff Helder's credit. You know, we have that sheriff's that breakfast every mo- uh, once a month. I don't know if you've ever been to it. But law enforcement from all across northwest Arkansas gets down there and we all go around the table and talk and you hear people come up from Little Rock or uh, like, like Chad from Truman yesterday, you know, he's like, wow, I wish somebody over here would take the initiative to do that. And it's just having those relationships and being able to, I don't have to know it all as long as I know who to call when I need to know something. And I do try to, I, I do take pride in trying to, you, you heard some people say it yesterday, when somebody calls me, I can't answer the phone all the time, but I do try to get back with them and try to help them if I can, so.
0: So have you tried those skills that you can have sort of developed, how have you then tried to pass those on to other people that uh, you know are coming up behind you?
1: I think just making sure that they know how important that is. You know that, that goes true uh, both internally and externally. I mean I, I think you heard deputy chief say yes to customer service. I am all about customer service. Uh, you know that doesn't always mean that y- if you're arrested on for something that we're going to agree that you should have been or shouldn't have been. But I want people calling people back. I I want people, you know, being polite as you can be. It's all about customer service. And I think as long as that's the culture, and I think that is the culture of our police department, because, I mean, we've harped on it for the last 13 years, that that customer service is important to us. And and the reason that is, is what should be important to us is what's important to the community.
0: So you're 55?
1: Just turned 55. Just turned
0: 55. And you're retiring from... As a police chief, um, what's next for you? What, uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, private sector, go back into some kind of public service uh, arena?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you heard me say early on in this I'm leaving because I have to. It's mm-hmm. not because I hate coming to work every day. I still love doing what I do. So, I hope the opportunity arises at some point to. I, I doubt that I would go private, you never say never, uh, but I would doubt I never go uh, private sector from talking to ex-chief Frank Johnson, who done that. You know, he discourages me not to do that. (laughs) And I don't know that I would do that anyway, but yeah, I can see myself back in, like I said, it's all I've ever done, it's all I know. And obviously I have intentions of working a few more years, even though uh, every year I say next year, I'm gonna be more prepared to deer hunt and those kind of things. So maybe this will be the year, you know, it's coming to that time of year. So maybe for the next couple of months, I can get some of that done. Yeah. Have, a, have a big farm uh, over in the edge of Oklahoma that I've kind of ignored this summer knowing that this hopeful break was coming. So I plan on spending some time over there and sitting on a tractor a lot, at least for the next some time period.
0: Yeah, so is your family all local? Uh, your kids,
1: yeah, pretty and much. Uh, so yep, you get um, to be a grand, yeah. granddad for a little. Got while. two a four year old and a two year old, so that's a lot of fun. They've been living in Cincinnati, Ohio for the last uh, two years. Just moved back wow. in the last month, so got some catch up time to do nice. with them. And my daughter quickly told me when I retired I could just be full time babysitter, but I didn't want to. Make that commitment. So, I just uh, you know I've had a, had a couple inquiries about law enforcement jobs. I've had a couple inquiries about uh, hey, you want to come sell cars? And uh, not really. You want to come sell tractors for me? No, not really. You know I don't I want to don't want to do something that how hard I work's based is my paychecks based on on Friday. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we will
0: uh, keep our ear out for all right. uh, any future developments. Um, uh, thanks for for coming to do this, but also thanks for all the years of service to the community.
1: Well, I appreciate it.
0: really appreciate that, and uh, you've always been great uh, as far as any conversations we needed to have over the years.
1: We've had some good ones over the years, and some of them we've agreed on things, and some we haven't, (laughs) so that's okay.
0: That's true, and I I really appreciate uh, your openness to that. Not every police chief uh, operates that way, (laughs) so uh, I appreciate your intentionality in terms of trying to be open to those kinds of conversations so well thanks I
1: appreciate it uh, it's been a great ride I've uh, I really hate that I'm leaving I really do
0: yep well more ahead I hope so so, uh, uh, thank you so much for your time Uh, we appreciate you being here and uh, for all our listeners out there we appreciate you listening and uh, just uh, ask you to tune in next time and uh, we'll have other guests in the future Uh, until then take care